0: Hi, this is James Enstall, host of geek to Me Radio, and in honor of my favorite Themysciran, I've decided to become an Amazon warrior. Harrod, give me strength. The next time you want to buy something from Amazon, go to Geek2MeRadio.com first and click on our Amazon affiliate link. Simply shop like you normally would, and when you check out, a small percentage will go towards supporting the show. So remember, the next time you want to search Amazon for the latest Wonder Woman graphic novel or parts of your invisible jet, click through from Geek2MeRadio.com first. The world was in peril. Would you have me stand by
1: and do nothing?
2: to me, radio, da
1: da, 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 da.
0: Welcome, 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 geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to another all-new edition of Geek to Me Radio, our 150th episode. It's comic-based today. We're talking with comic creators Jim Salakrup, then we'll get into Fabian Nievesa and his work on Deadpool. We'll talk with Mark Wade. All that and more. Stand by. If you're driving around the greater St. Louis area right now, hearing this on 105.3 FM and 1380 AM, thank you very much for tuning in. If you're listening to us out there in the world, streaming us on the web, thank you for finding us there. And as always, if you're hearing us after the fact in the podcast form on Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Podomatic, we appreciate your finding and subscribing there. Uh, great show today for our 150th. I'm keeping it comic book-based. My first guest is none other than Jim Salakrup. We're talking with Jim Salakrup, writer, editor for just about everything from Marvel. Started as a messenger, if I'm not mistaken, yes? More or less, uh, 1972. And that was, uh, you've been with Marvel for 20 years from that point on. Right. When you got your foot in the door doing the messaging, I think it was Roy Thomas who hired you, if I'm not mistaken? Roy Thomas and Saul Brodsky. And did you, was your whole plan to work your way up to editor in chief at the time? Or were you just happy being in the door? What was the thought process of a young Jim Salakrup at that time?
1: Well, I'm an editor in chief now at Paper Cuts, and I was also at Topps Comics. But at Marvel, I never wanted to be the editor in chief because that tended to be more uh, administrative. Uh, and I, I, so just being an editor there was, was fine. But my aspirations early on when I first started, like many a. Uh, a writer and editor in comics we were all sort of frustrated cartoonists. Uh, I started when I was 15 right before I went to uh, the high school of art and design in New York and I, I really wasn't uh, as bright as I, I'd like to think I was in that at Marvel were such incredible talents such as uh in the office, John Ramita Sr., Marie Severin, Herb Trimpe, and a few others, that, in a, in a sense, I had, like, the greatest comic book art teachers in the world yeah, yeah. at my disposal. But my teenage brain back then only thought, oh, my gosh, you know... Uh, uh, I, I'm not worthy you know they' they're so much better I'll never be as good as they are. I'd better find something else to do and I was such a fan in a way that if, when you look at a lot of the stuff I wrote at Marvel, a lot of it is um, oddball stuff. It's like I didn't think I was worthy enough to write the mainstream, Marvel comics, like an issue of Amazing Spider-Man or Iron Man or something like that, so whenever it was other things, like Spidey Super Stories I wrote for, for years, like that wasn't necessarily considered canon, that was like uh, an adaptation right, yeah. of the regular Spider-Man comics to help kids to read, or, or if they need, or, or all sorts of outside the official Marvel universe, so and then, well, I, I, I might contradict myself, but a lot of times when I did do some of those things, like say when I, was, I write, wrote the Transformers, yes, I couldn't resist throwing Marvel Universe stuff in it. You know, like I, I would get carried away. I mean, my uh, first issue I plotted, I, I guess, starred Spider-Man. That's right, issue number three, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of that was because I just, you know, in general, I'm a, a, a New Yorker in the sense that I don't drive. I don't have a driver's license. You know, everything is either walking, taking a bus, subway, a taxi, Uber, whatever. You know, you you don't need to... You know, I love walking. And so I never had the desire to learn how to drive. So here was a book where the main characters all turn into trucks and cars and jet fighters. (laughs) And I I was at a loss. So uh, sometimes what writers do is uh, they look for a character that could sort of, like, represent themselves. Like, uh, here's me, the outsider to all this crazy stuff. So using Peter Parker's Spider-Man to go up against the, uh, you know, to experience the uh, the Transformers was a way where he, he's trying to figure them out while I'm trying to figure them out. So so that was fun. But, but my point, basically, was... And this proves, like I told you before this interview, <laughs> that I could be long-winded. Is, <laughs> is that you know I had this the the tremendous opportunity to learn from so many people in that you know '70s Marvel bullpen, and I guess you know I did pick up a few things through osmosis and uh, what have you. So it wasn't really a, a career plan to become a writer or editor. It's just uh, one of the many things I fell into because I didn't think I was uh, good enough to be an artist. So to this day, and even here today at this convention, one of the things I do is sell lousy sketches. I saw it right before me, yeah. Yeah, where I get to do my artwork, and people will give me money for it, (laughs) which I appreciate greatly. It's just a lot of fun for me, something that started as a joke at a comic convention maybe 20 years ago. I was at a table next to Russ Heath, one of the greatest comic book artist of all time and he was legitimately selling sketches you know for right. realistic you know probably bargain prices but you know to me back then <laughs> they were very expensive and uh as a joke i put up a sign that said uh, lousy sketches <laughs> five dollars so uh, so uh, now now they're all the way up to ten bucks each <laughs> that's and, uh, inflation yeah, but I, I, well, now people charge that much for an autograph, so yeah. I, I, I still think they're cheap. <laughs> but it's fun. I really uh, get to s- spend a day doing my sketches and having fun. And even, honestly, over the years, I, I did have some artwork published, here and there, at Marvel even. And uh, you have to really search to find it. <laughs> but... Uh, there was even a, an ad I did uh, for, uh, I think it was Mutant Babies that Terry Austin wound up inking. So uh, ah. it was, you know, But a lot of times uh, what I would do is uh, sketches for covers because a lot of uh, the fun for me is the idea and the concept or the design if it's a cover. And so as an editor, you really have the most enjoyable job in that if you have an idea... That was the fun part. Writing it,
3: (laughs) developing,
1: that's the work part. part. (laughs) And you could talk to the, uh, uh, you could assign it to writers. And and I've never been a dictator about it. I mean, sometimes it's fun. Like, I might have a specific idea that if I was to have, uh, if I were to have written it, it may have been completely different. So it's exciting to see what other talents do, you know, with the germ of an idea and how they develop it. Same thing with uh, art. You know, even at paper cuts I did a uh, cover that one of the best cartoonists around today uh, Bob camp wound up. oh yeah we had Bob on the show yeah he's, he's he's incredible I think he's moving out to the West coast now to run the uh, SpongeBob Squarepants show I did this very rough sketch for him and I was surprised how faithful he, he was with it it was like a very flattering and he's he's always said uh, great things about my uh, lousy sketches. And, you know, he'll come up, he'll, every every show we're at together, he'll, he'll come by and say, uh, you know, Jim, you draw funny, <laughs> which, you know... I has got to be a compliment coming from Bob. You took the words right out of my mouth. So there, how's that for a long-winded today? That's day, perfect.
0: So. And you talk about planning that germ of an idea with uh, one of the, probably the biggest and most famous storylines for Spider-Man, Craven's Last Hunt. Uh, you kind of oversaw that, and you said that was, I think, that was your idea to break it up and spread it across amazing web and spectacular, wasn't it?
1: Uh, well, to be precise, I don't want to take any credit I don't deserve, although I, I'm tempted. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the storyline was a six-part story, but I think it was intended for just one of the Spider-Man titles. And I guess I always tried to look at things uh, from back from when I was a reader, And when I was growing up in the uh, the 60s, uh, you know, there was basically, for the most part, uh, one monthly Spider-Man title, and it was very tightly plotted. It was like a soap opera. Right. So you weren't reading it just for Peter Parker, but there was all these other characters and stuff was constantly going on. And so you'd read one issue, and it was a very suspenseful month where you eagerly, truly eagerly awaited the next issue sure, just to yeah. find out what was going to happen. And uh, when they started adding other Spider-Man titles, uh, because there was that temptation many times, even in the 60s, uh, of, of you know, and he would be a guest star, and there would be annuals, and he would appear in other stories... But they, they, you know, they—he didn't become an Avenger, for example. Right. You know, right. like they, 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 toyed with it in a story in, in, in an annual, and they realized, no, he's a loner; he couldn't be a part of the team, et cetera, et cetera. And I like that. And once they started, I think the first one was Marvel Team Up, an ongoing. Time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't mind reprint stories, Marvel Tales, where they. You know, because I didn't start at the very beginning as a fan. I, I was only let's see, in '62. I was probably just uh, five years old, so six years. I yeah, you know, I didn't really start really uh, maybe till '67, '66. So there was years of stories sure, yeah. I, I missed out on unlike today, where there's collected editions available right. in bookstores that come. You know, those those back issues were elusive, and so I had to. Uh, Track them down uh, any way I could. So when they had monthly books like Marvel Collector's Item Classics or I'd Marvel hear. Tales, which would, you know, those were, the, yeah. Yeah, those were great. They, they you know, like, learned the history of the catch up <laughs> on the characters. It was just wonderful. We're
0: going to finish our conversation with Jim Salicrup right after this,
1: so stand by.
0: Spectacular, spectacular.
1: Hello everyone, this is Paul Soules, the voice of Spider-Man and Ernie, the Misfit Elf, who wanted to be a dentist on Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Coming to you on Geek to Me Radio. Hope you enjoy. Talk with you soon.
0: Here comes the Spider-Man. It's and we're back. Our 150th. Edition of Geek Me Radio wouldn't be possible without the folks at the City of St. Charles, the Greater St. Charles Convention and Visitors Bureau. Check out the website Discover St. Charles. That's discoverstcharles.com. So you can see all the cool things there are to see and do Uh beautiful time. We're coming upon the fall now, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, you can rent bikes at the bike stop cafe, bike right up and down the Katy trail, come back and stop off at the new salt and smoke for lunch, uh, pack a lunch, take a picnic out to frontier park, uh, bring your dog out there, play some frisbee golf, whatever you want to do. It's a great time to be had by all in St. Charles. And maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, I'm not in the St. Louis, St. Charles area. That's Okay. Because there are plenty of places to stay uh, in any kind of comfort level you're wanting to get into. If you want to do some camping, if you want to do a bed and breakfast, if you want a fine, fine hotel with world-class amenities, all that can be had. And, of course, as we mentioned, great places to eat. If you're in the area and you want to look for a special something for somebody, St. Charles has a bunch of shops up and down the cobblestone historic streets for where you can look to find the perfect gift for that special somebody. You can check out the website to get more information and details. That's discoverstcharles.com, discoverstcharles. Check out all the cool things we are to see and do. We always say it's an historically good time. Before we went to our last break, we were talking with Jim Salicrup, and he was discussing uh, a little bit of what he wanted to do as editor of the Spider-Man titles. So
1: as the editor of uh, Spider-Man, it was sort of a, a mixed blessing on one hand. I loved the character. I was happy to work with all the talent. But part of me was a little frustrated that, you know, when I took over, there seemed to be storylines, separate storylines for uh, each of the titles. So, ideally, what I really wanted to do, and they were really, Marvel management at the time just hated it, was, uh, you know, just have one weekly Spider-Man title. I don't understand... To this day, why they just don't do it that way? The majority of comic book fans pretty much go to the comic book store once a week, every Wednesday, pick up their new comics. So instead of having multiple titles with different storylines, why can't we just have one ongoing? And everything I did, if you look at from the point I I started editing the Spider-Man titles, was to try to unify them. Even... Visually, I don't know if you recall, there was the amazing Spider-Man logo, but there was a separate logo for Spectacular, Peter Parker, yeah. Sp- yeah, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. I even reduced that title; I got rid of the yeah, Peter Parker. It was you, okay? Thank I you. wanted it just be the Spectacular <laughs> Spider-Man, and and then there was Web Spider. Had it, you know, I was looking at say DC Comics, and pretty much, you know, they have some of the most famous characters in the world: Superman and Batman. And when you think of Superman and the Superman logo, that's that's yeah. iconic. That, yeah. and I wanted that Spider-Man logo to be the same across. You know, right? I didn't want it to because, in a, in a way, if it's not that logo, I, I felt some part of your brain, you know. And I would hear this from the writers and the fans, and like as if Amazing was the that's the only that right, was the exactly. important Spider-Man title. Well, then why should there be any? Spider-Man comic that isn't equally important. It's the same character, and and, and as a fan, you want to believe in this stuff. So to get to the point, uh, everything I was trying to do, and and like the 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 business people didn't want to do a weekly or anything. They and and there were some legitimate reasons not to do it. So I apologize to all those fans who read Craven the Hunt, but like say if they were only subscribing. To Web of Spider Man or Spectacular Spider Man, you know, like maybe it was a little unfair to them, you know, that, wait a minute, this is part two? Where's part one? You know, where, how am I going to get part three? You think salespeople,
0: the business people would want that because it would encourage them to go subscribe to Amazing and Web so they wouldn't miss an issue.
1: Well, that was the irony of it all. When I was at Marvel, quite often, the arguments I would get into with upper management was, I was the one who wanted Marvel to make more money. You know, like the critics of Marvel at the time would say all they care about is making money. No, I would argue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making try- enough. <laughs> I, well, I want them to. I want, you know, I, I, I just couldn't imagine uh, why they thought the way they did, and, uh, you know, and perhaps still do. And so I sort of took advantage of a situation when there was uh, a change in the editors in chief it's it sort of like when such a major transition like that occurs there's so much going on they don't have time to really pay attention to what's going on in individual titles gotcha, okay. until the new guy settles in Right. and uh, so I sort of really took that opportunity like, okay, I'm going to run Craven's Hunt, Craven's Last Hunt through all the titles because I, I, I just, I can't explain you know, like there are lots of comics fans who care who the writers and artists are. But I still felt this is still back in the days when Spider Man comics were sold on newsstands at seven yeah. eleven or what have you, that there was a large part of the audience that believes in the character. You know, and I took that very seriously. And I felt anything that sort of dilutes that or hurts it. In other words, if one week Spider Man's buried alive and the very next week this was my nightmare. The worst thing that could have happened is Spider-Man swinging around in one of his other titles, and there's a caption. Well, this takes place after right. what happened. So you just ruined it. You just said, well, he's, <laughs> he's fine. He's, right. not, he's not dead. Everything's okay. Spoilers. Don't worry about it. So for me, I thought because of that structure, this sort of had more impact because it was sort of saying... This is this is a really dark, serious thing that's happening to Spider-Man. It's not just confined to this one title, right? You know, every there's no escaping it. You can't pick up next week's comic and, <laughs> oh, and everything oh, will be not, okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, so uh, well, I figured as much. It's ironic that I really wasn't in favor of Spider-Man being darker and all that. But I figured, yes, and, and I and, and I get credit for editing one of the perhaps darkest Spider-Man stories ever. But I, I just felt if we're going to do it, I, I want to go for uh, the maximum impact. And and really, I mean, it wouldn't have made much difference if it was uh, not a great story. So all the credit really goes to uh, J.M. DeMattis, uh, Mike Zeck, Bob McLeod, uh, Rick Parker, the letterer, J.J. Jackson, the original colorist, everyone on that was putting so much effort that as editor, I, I felt I had to do everything I could to, to make it have as much impact as possible, and, then the, and the creators seemed very appreciative, and I was you know, just really reacting to the great work they were doing, so uh, it, it was, I think, fun for all of us. We were able to uh, promote it well, attract a lot of attention. So, you know, here it is, literally over 30 years later, and, and we're, still we're still talking, talking about yeah, it. That's and, a sign it, of a good story. And it's even echoing in current storylines all these years later. So, uh, you know, I'm glad it worked out. One other guy, to, be, to give even more credit where credit's due, uh, the storyline was obviously initiated by J.M. Dematis, I think originally even as a Batman story and uh, he tried a few other attempts into in try, trying it with other characters didn't go anywhere until I think he uh, pitched it to uh, Jim Owsley who is now Christopher Priest and Tom DeFalco who were before me on the Spider-Man books mm. so I was sort of lucky enough to inherit this uh, thing which was already in the works so I'm thankful to them
0: and last question, with uh, Marvel Comics especially being so mainstream now, we just had a huge box office success with Avengers Endgame. Having been on so many of these Marvel titles, and I know it was your baby, are you upset the Thanos copter did not make an appearance in the movie? <laughs> uh. And we're going to get that answered. I had to bring up the Thanos copter. You know I had to. We're going to get the answer to that right after this, so stand by.
1: Everybody, this is Maria canales barrera I voice Talk Girl on the Justice League. And you're listening to geek to me Radio.
0: Right before we went to break, we were talking with Jim Salicrup, the editor of the Spider-Man comics uh, back in the day. And, of course, he is the creator of the Thanos copter, so I had to bring it up. Uh, what did, is, is he sad that the Thanos copter did not appear in the new Avengers movies?
1: Well, uh, you know, we, we haven't seen the uh, DVD with deleted scenes That's yet, true. have That's true. It could be in there. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, it, what, what's funny is, uh, for me, is a lot of times uh, uh, I'm getting uh, perhaps undeserved credit for various things uh, that I... I, I well, I'll give you an example. Uh, upcoming, uh, one of the uh, other Marvel movies out this year will be uh, Dark Phoenix. And... I'm uh, listed as uh, one of the editors on that as well, and Marvel did publish uh, the version I originally edited, which was called Dark Phoenix, uh, The Untold Story, Yes, where in my version, uh, she survived, which, it's interesting, but I think there are certain uh, similarities between uh, what we were trying to do with um, uh, that version of Dark Phoenix, where... I saw the Dark Phoenix and I think Chris and John did at one point as this other entity that possessed Jean Grey mm-hmm. that it wasn't Jean Grey, you know, committing genocide on that poor, you know, planet of uh, you know, broccoli people or, right. <laughs> or asparagus, I can't remember. <laughs> but I think Jim Shooter who stepped in and said, "Wait a minute, wait a minute. Jean Grey has to has to be ramifications of her for committing this horrible crime, which uh, I think uh, Chris may have initially been bluffing. Well, what do you want us to do, a uh, killer? And... Uh and I and I don't think Chris expected Jim to call his bluff. Hey, that's a great idea. Go go for it. Huh. So you know, like that, that's yet another movie coming up that I, I sort of uh, helped had a hand in. Obviously, uh, Venom was another. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't know if they're planning to use Craven in the Spider-Man movies anytime soon. But it, it's interesting. There's a lot of storylines that I was involved with that the final versions may have come out differently than what I intended. But it all worked out well. I mean, like, uh, so many of the things I did were undone later. You know, I edited the Peter and MJ's wedding, got yeah, them married. Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, theoretically, you know, if I understand the the continuity correctly, it did happen, but it unhappened.
0: Right, Mephisto. Yeah, that was. Uh, There's a lot of people upset about that too. There's a fan outcry. People are trying to do petitions to null and void that story, which is fan petitions are kind of the thing right now i
1: guess well you know it, it's it's there no one's in wrong you know the thing with creative stuff it's always subjective yeah. and i totally understand all the different sides to it you know it's just that spider-man in, in a lot of ways i felt had gone on for a long time and was in danger even uh, indirectly because of me and spidey super stories i think uh, a lot of young kids uh, are very sensitive to uh, what they're reading and don't want to be perceived as reading stuff that's for babies, as they would say. Sure. And I think Spidey Superstories, in a weird way, may have damaged the Spider-Man franchise huh. by associating it this is something you read to learn how to read, you know? Right. And I think... Initially, the black and white costume was something that gave fans no, "No, no, no, no! I'm not reading that Spider-Man. This is the more sophisticated, cool, the view. adult Spider-Man." Exactly, yeah, right? Exactly. And uh, and then, of course, you know, as soon as I become editor of Spider-Man, I want to undo that, <laughs> which which fortunately begat uh, Venom. So that worked out okay, depending on who you ask. I'm sure Todd McFarlane loved it. <laughs> I. I, I, I I haven't heard him complain, but uh, <laughs> you know. And uh, and then as we uh, moved on, it was like, uh, oh, the costume, the wedding. Uh, oh yeah, how they undid the uh, yeah. marriage that you. Ah, who cares? I, I people I got lost. People revamping. Your... I had such a fascinating point to get to, but uh, unfortunately, I, I'm old now and can't remember it. So <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll have to. Yeah, next year continue and, and, and maybe I'll remember it by now. <laughs>
0: I'll shoot you an email to remind you of the upcoming con and we can discuss it at that point, finish up the with the round two.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, that'd be it's great talking to you, James. Thank you, uh, you Jim Salakrup.
0: It's been a pleasure.
1: It's all been pleasures all mine. Thank you, so thank much. Thank
0: you. Great talk with a great creator. Uh, thank you, Jim Salakrup, for your time. We're gonna keep it comic book based. We're gonna come back talking with Fabian Nassiza, one of the co-creators of Deadpool right after this, so stand by. Hi, this is Karin Sony and you're listening to me on Geek to Me Radio. Lucky you.
3: Don't call it a comeback.
0: I've been here for years. I'm my So with the popularity of Deadpool, uh, not knowing what's going to go on now that Disney has the keys to that one back, uh, we did have a chance to sit down and talk with one of the co-creators and here's that conversation. Talking with Fabian, let's get the hard part out of the way now. Neceza? No. Neceza.
2: Be Spanish. Necesa. Ah, that was Spanish. That was incredibly Spanish. In is it- Espanol, it's Fabian Nicieza. In Nicieza. English, it's Fabian Nicieza. And in American, it's clearly Fabian Nakunza.
0: Obviously. Okay, so I would have gotten there eventually, but thank you for speaking Maybe process. not. You're American. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, Deadpool, huge um, co-creator. Yes. And
2: uh, did you ever think... Yes. You, you did. Yes. You Yes, when we did this in '91, I think Rob and I talked after the first issue came out, and it was really popular with the fans, and Deadpool was really popular with the readers in your Mutants* that issue. And I think Rob and I talked, and I said, "Somewhere there's a plucky Canadian boy who one day will want a star as Deadpool in a major motion picture." And Rob said, "Yes, we'll probably have to wait 20 years before we <laughs> see it happen." And that, so yeah, it was prophetic. You guys, yeah, knew. yeah, we knew that, that that somewhere in the wilds of Canada, Canada. Little Ryan Reynolds was just waiting for the opportunity <laughs> to play the part. And with those movies
0: being so incredible, as the co-creator, writer, was there anything? Did
2: everyone love the movie? But was, as the writer, were you nitpicking it like? Well, no, have, you nothing, know, a, Not a thing. Um, I would have been, honestly, and no joking, if the first movie hadn't have been so pitch perfect for me as far as I'm concerned. I I thought as a writer, as an editor, you know, as as a professional, I'm looking at this thing, trying to find flaws in it, and I think its structure was excellent, I think its pacing was excellent, its scenes were excellent, its characterization was excellent, and and what made it global and made it reach a wide audience that you'd never expect would go see a character like this on screen is that it really was a, a love story. It was a boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back again story. The simplicity of that structure draws people in who normally may not be interested in a character like this. And then the humor and the sc- scatological stuff, the, the, they 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 like it because it's naughty. So so many civilians right? globally went to go see this thing because it was a naughty sort of a pleasure, you know?
0: And we talked earlier when you were assigned to my promo posters, I didn't know you did all those layouts for those promo posters. Alpha Flight, um, all the ones that you we yeah. It, when you were so, working as an editor. Yeah,
2: I was I was Marvel's advertising manager from uh, 86-ish until 90, 91. Uh, um, Um, And and I was responsible for all of Marvel's house ads that appeared in their own comics, about their own comics. Uh, Marvel's promotional posters that went out to the direct market specialty stores and were given away at conventions. Co-op ads, sell sheets. Uh, It was a huge amount of stuff. Promotional giveaways. Um, One of my very first things I did on that job is um, to advertise a book called uh, Solo Avengers featuring Hawkeye. I did the Avengers ID card. Okay. I've got my Avengers ID
0: card. I still have it.
2: You also have my signature on the Avengers ID card because I'm the one who signed Raymond Sikorsky's signature on the mechanical and from a newspaper or something I got Ronald, Ronald Reagan's, Reagan's signature and put it on the card because he was president at the time. Kids, yeah. back when dinosaurs roamed the <laughs> earth. Um, Before the so, internet. So I wanted an Avengers ID card because I thought it was the coolest giveaway ever, but my job is to promote Solo Avengers featuring Hawkeye, a new title Marvel's putting out. So I did the two-sided card. Hundreds of thousands of those went out to the comic book shops and convention people, and for years and years, I still see people with, have them in their wallet. They put their picture on them, stuff like that, yeah. which is great.
0: I put Captain Britain's picture on mine because I like Captain Britain. I was like, that's Captain a incredibly kid. nerdy. So, yeah, okay. I know,
2: I know, I'm a huge nerd, but that's yeah. okay. That's
0: why I'm here. Okay. And uh, talking about, so going, you mentioned earlier, you weren't thrilled with the freelance writing thing.
2: Um. Uh, it, well, yeah, no, it's not... I, I was a creature of an office environment. Coming out of college, I worked at Berkeley Publishing, paperback book publisher in Manhattan, and, and that was my first job out of college. And it's an office environment job, and you look looking to make your way up within the ranks of the office structure. When I got an opportunity to get a job at Marvel Comics, it was a 9-to-5 job. I'm commuting in from New Jersey to New York every day. I'm working my job, and then after a couple of years, I have the good fortune and, and a little bit of skill that enables me to start selling my stories as a writer but those are separate things right my nine to five is separate from my freelance writing so i'm doing 99 percent of my writing i'm doing on the train on the way home at night on weekends i'm not doing it in the office um we only had one computer me and another guy in my department shared so we played this game of trying to get in the office first to get the <laughs> computer and i'm writing more a little more and more as we're going along and i need a computer time so we get we got to the point where i'm getting into the office at 6 six fifteen in the morning and he shows up at 6 40 and he's all angry because I got there before him it was ridiculous um, and, and, but that's how I rolled, that's how, that's how you had to do it and, and I wanted to write but I never ever said I want to be a professional writer I just wanted a chance to write you know, I loved my day job. I loved my 9-to-5. Uh, that that time period in particular was a great time to be at Marvel from 85 yeah. to 95. Um, not so much afterwards, uh, but I got out while the getting right. was good. Uh, I cut bait and ran before things got too ugly.
0: So having done that and then come back to Marvel to do projects, what's what did you notice know is, is the biggest change, I guess?
2: Uh, I'm not in the office enough to be able to answer okay. that. I, I'm, I'm maybe in the offices once every year at most. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm in touch with a lot of people who work there, but it's not the same. The, the, we're talking about almost two two cycles generation wise of office employees from the time I, I was there it's 23 years ago since I worked on staff at Marvel right. so very very few of the people I worked with are still there maybe three I think mm-hmm. um, and, and everyone else is cycled you know over the last 15-20 years um, so so it's a very, very different environment in that it is nowhere near as loose and as fun as it used to be. Marvel now reminds me a lot more of DC in the really? 80s uh, than it does of Marvel in the 80s, that's for sure. Yeah. Is that a good thing? No, it's not a good okay. thing at all. I was no. curious. That's no. Not, you said not it. at all, no. <laughs> can I tell, no. But <laughs> Marvel doesn't allow editors to reconfigure their entire offices and create platforms so that they're sitting above the freelancers who come into the office so that they can play fun games with them. Um, Marvel doesn't have the kinds of parties that they used to have all on a regular basis. It's just not—it's not the same environment. It, it, to explain the differences, I—I I would need to be more versed in what it is like today. I just know that it is not what it was like back then. So, uh, one last question before I
0: let you go: um, With the Deadpool movie, obviously we're going to get a third one. I assume with the Fox Disney, like didn't Throw that. I hope. Do you have any idea where that might go with a third movie? What we might see? I, is it going
2: to be X Force or? I, don't know. Okay. I, they were originally talking about a separate X-Force spinoff. That was why Josh Brolin got cast and ZZ Bates got cast as Domino. They, they were fully planning an X-Force spinoff. Whether there'd be a Deadpool 3 or not, we don't know, but there was an assumption there'd be an X-Force 1. Um, and, and and probably Deadpool would appear a certain amount of time in that movie just to carry it over and, and, and sell the tickets. Um, I do not know what they are planning. I All I know is that I get a check when they make a movie, so I want them to make a movie a week. So <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Ryan, uh, one a week if you can. Thank Thank you. you. Um, That would be great, actually. (laughs) Um, So so whatever they're going to do, um, I trust the the people that have been in charge of that franchise, that part of the franchise, I should say, the Deadpool part of the franchise. Uh, I trust their creative instincts tremendously. I really do. Uh, Because I, I think they get it, and they'll get it right. Perfect. Well,
0: I appreciate your time today. Thanks very much. My pleasure. We'll see you around the con. Thank you. Thank you. I uh, love talking to comic book creators, and we're not done yet. We're going to come back and talk with a fantastic writer, Mark Wade, right after this. Stand by.
2: Nine to five. What a way to make
3: a living heavy. by. It's all and no
0: Hi, I'm John Wesley Ship, and you're listening to Geek to Me Radio. We are back our final segment. Uh, this segment brought to you by Marcus Theatres. marcustheaters.com is the website. We just went and saw I hadn't had a chance to see it yet so we went and saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, and we saw it at the St. Charles Marcus Theatres. And if you're listening and you think, well, I don't live in the St. Louis area, they're not just in the St. Louis area. Eleven different states where you can find a Marcus Theatres, and I love going. The clean theaters, the fresh popcorn, uh, the concessions are great, and, of course, the experience. If you're going to see a movie and you see it, even if it's a good movie, and you see it in a less-than-stellar environment, it's going to diminish the quality of your whole experience. So go see a movie in a first class setting. MarcusTheaters.com is that first class setting. Fantastic, fantastic theater chain. 11 different states. Like we mentioned, you can go see it. Check out the website, MarcusTheaters.com for your show times, your listings, buy your tickets right there online. So you don't have to wait in the queue when you're up at the movie theater desk and you can just get an overall perfect movie going experience. MarcusTheaters.com is that website. We're joined now by a fantastic writer who's had his hand in a lot of projects, Mark Wade. Talking now with prolific writer Mark Wade. How are you? Good, sir. Um, when it comes to the modern day comic books, if people were to create a Mount Rushmore of great writers, you'd have to be one of the four faces up there.
3: That's with, nice to hear.
0: <laughs> with 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 I would say probably John Byrne. Okay. I'd probably put um,
3: gosh. I love Peter David. Peter, yeah, David's Peter David drawing. Okay. Um would you? What would you say for the fourth? I put. I put Alan Moore, or Grant Morrison. As a matter of fact, I would put me I I put Grant instead of me, but that just me. okay. All right, yeah, that's okay. very kind yeah. of you to yeah. step yeah. aside.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> So, uh, your flash run was one of my favorites. Thank um, you. That I've got that run. I was blown away. And you. Uh, you ended up creating the character of Impulse on your run, right? And now we're seeing him on Young Justice yeah. and
3: in media. That must be great to have one of your it's, creations. That's to a lot see. of fun to see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: When they come to you, do
3: they consult with you at all? How much input do you have with the shows? And the, the uh... not really with with the Flash. I'm lucky in that the one of the executive producers, Eric Wallace, is a friend of mine. So at least we can have conversations. But on an official level. They, they don't really come to us, but that's really because they're fans. They're huge fans of the material. If they, if they didn't know anything, I'm sure they'd come knocking on our door. But So it, it feels... It's okay because we know these characters in good hands.
0: And with you also have creating basically the Elseworlds. You know, Gotham by Gaslight. I saw the first print graphic novel, loved it. Yeah. Um, and that really opened up a lot of doors. Now they're talking about doing, a on the D.C. streaming service, a possible world. I've, I've seen this. Yeah, that'd be very cool. What if you had to say their top four episodes their first four episodes what would you
3: pick let's see well they've already done red sun as a movie right Right. so they can't do red sun um what are the better ones uh holy terror that's that's the top of my list Uh, yeah yeah that i uh, and uh superman brit i think that was a good one by john byrne yeah um speeding bullets by mark de the one that was what if what if kalow were adopted by the cats right um fourth one doesn't immediately come to mind but those are the big three i think
0: okay yeah i'm not like the emerald the win Bruce Wayne got the Green Lantern oh, yeah, ring. That was a yet. great one too. Yeah, yeah. There's so many to pick from; it's
3: hard yeah, to choose. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and you, you worked well with Marvel. There are some people who are known for DC, and some people
3: are known for Marvel.
0: You're well known for both because you played so well in both sandboxes yeah, thank you. Yeah. To yeah. so what would you attribute that? To? Is it just a love of the characters? Is it's it... really
3: just love of the characters. It really is the fact that I I don't have a preference one way or another. I grew up a DC boy, but I've learned to love the Marvel characters, mm-hmm. and so and I know them all like the back of my hand. So and, and I'm comfortable working in. I think one of the things that helps keep me employable. Is that I've also been an editor, so I know both sides of the desk. Yeah, I know there. I know what they're looking for. I know what's important to an editor, as also what's important to a story, and to a writer. So, you know, as a re- freelancer, my job is to help solve problems for an editor. So I, I, I will do that.
0: And as a writer, you worked with so many fantastic artists. And very lucky. Is there anyone who? When you see their artwork, you almost kind of want to do a rewrite. It's like, well, hold on, now that I'm seeing that, is is there a
3: certain artist? Well, luckily, I get a chance to do that most of the time. Most of the time, the artwork comes by me for a final pass of dialogue. And so a lot of times, I'm able to look at that and go, well, I don't need to say anything here. This covers it. Yeah.
0: Last two questions, guys. Sure. I know you got people waiting. Yeah. Um, with your run on Captain America leading up before it was rebooted for Heroes Reborn, yeah. the Marvel Iron Man. I loved the little kid Iron Man. The Captain America stuff you were doing was great. Thank you. Was there any sense of disappointment when they decided
3: to reboot, or how far in oh, advance yeah. did you know going in that they were going to reboot it? Hour and a half. Actually, oh no, actually, before I went in, I didn't know. didn't that. Yeah, knew nothing. Okay. Before I went in, they didn't. Right. They didn't tell us mm. going in that we were only had a ten issue run or mm. eleven issue run, uh, but we made the most of it. And look, you know, I don't begrudge the guys who took over those books at all. It's you know, it's business. Yeah. But it was nice to have those books back, and we got them back. Right. Yeah. And
0: that was another great run you did on Cap, especially. Thank, Thank you. And my last question: uh, You're probably one of the better Spider-Man writers out there. Thank you. So many people have worked on Spider-Man. Was there anything when you took over that title? Was there any kind of thing you didn't were a little nervous about writing such a, a, a iconic kind of character that going all the way back to Stan Lee has
3: worked on? It's it. In that sense, you know, now that you, if you if you asked me that when I started to write it, I would have gotten nervous. Uh, <laughs> I think I just had to bear in mind the thing that makes a Spider-Man story to me, and it was something that I had to bear in mind every time, which is that for Peter Parker to win, Spider-Man has to lose, or vice versa, in every story. If that's not in that story, it's not a Spider-Man story.
0: And before I let you go, do you have a favorite Spider-Man story that you enjoy the most that's not yours? It's
3: not mine? Yeah, the easel. I mean, everybody's going to say it, but it's the Master Planner story. The, okay. you know, the back, the, the Steve Ditko story, that's yeah. just an amazing story. Right. Yeah. Mark White, thank you so much for your time. Take Appreciate you it. You're back.
0: Thanks once again to my guests. A fantastic show. I hope you all enjoyed our 150th show. Until next week, my friends. It's not
2: in the way you watch I sound be. It's not in the way you.
0: Good night! Hi, this is James Enstall, host of geek to me Radio, and in honor of my favorite Themysciran, I've decided to become an Amazon warrior. Harrod, give me strength. The next time you want to buy something from Amazon, go to geek me first and click on our Amazon affiliate link. Simply shop like you normally would, and when you check out, a small percentage will go towards supporting the show. So remember, the next time you want to search Amazon for the latest Wonder Woman graphic novel or parts for your invisible jet... Click through from geekto meradio.com first.
3: The world was in peril. Would you have me stand by and do nothing?